Well, let's open our Bibles together and turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Well, and before we begin into our study tonight, let's ask the Lord for His help in prayer. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and for the goodness of it to instruct us just as we heard from the psalms tonight we thank you for the lord jesus christ as we just sang glory glory to the father glory glory to the son glory glory to the spirit lord help us to honor and glorify you with the way that we live and may the instruction and encouragement of your word tonight uh, the things that we see here uh, encourage us and strengthen us and embolden us to give our lives daily to you and to praise you uh, with our lips and to praise you with the way that we live. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this word that we have to study together and I ask that you would encourage us in the truths that we discover here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So far in our studies here in Isaiah, we've learned that there is rest for God's people. God's rest is for all people who put their trust in Him because He gives hope. God gives hope to His people. We've also learned that He makes Himself known to His people. He is not hiding Himself from us. He makes Himself known. And that is a blessing. He gives His own presence to his people he does not leave us alone and without help we have his holy spirit who lives in each and every believer in jesus we've also learned that he redeems those are his own he redeems those who are his own and then he shows his own people that their future is completely in his hands he is in control and he knows what is best for us. And then we've seen that God reassures His people. He doesn't leave us to wonder whether He is there to help us. He reassures us. And then we've seen that there is rest for God's people because God sends His servant into the world. He sends His servant into the world. And tonight, as we turn to the familiar Isaiah 53, we're going to see that there is rest for God's people because they are healed by the suffering servant. The servant that God has sent into the world suffered for sinners. And all those who put their faith in Him are healed by the suffering servant. And because of that healing, we have ultimate rest, eternal rest. We even have, we ought to be able to experience some, somewhat a present rest even as uh, things seem uh, like they're in turmoil, and even in our own lives, things can be tumultuous and difficult, but we ought to be able to rest in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's start by reading the whole chapter, Isaiah 53. It's fairly short uh, for a chapter in Isaiah, and we'll only look closely at a few of these verses tonight, but let's start by reading the whole chapter. So follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Let me just pause right there for a moment. This is a powerfully prophetic passage about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can hear it. You can see it. So let's keep reading. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's where we get the thought for our study tonight. It's right there in verse 5. And with his wounds, we are healed. We are healed by the suffering servant. Then verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. And verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Powerful passage, isn't it? Powerful truths that we have here. And we can see the Lord Jesus Christ throughout, can't we? I love Isaiah 53. It is a powerful passage that points to and reveals the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. He is the suffering servant. And because God the Father saw fit to send God the Son to suffer for sinners, there is rest for all who put their faith in Him. There is rest for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there wasn't rest for Jesus. 
Jesus suffered a cruel death on the cross. And some uh, might wonder, why was that necessary? Why was it necessary that Jesus suffer? But the Bible makes it clear that the suffering of Jesus was part of the plan of God. It was part of the plan of God the Father. We heard it here in verse 10, that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Now, when reading the Old Testament, you find that the law required blood to be shed for sins to be taken away. When you get to the New Testament, and it's even prophesied here in Isaiah, we learn that Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. The sacrifice of the suffering servant was the perfect sacrifice for sinners. So I want to think tonight about this. Let's carefully think about the plan of God. Let's think about the suffering Jesus endured. And let's think about the consequences or the outcome for all who believe in Jesus. It is because of the suffering servant and his death that that we're rescued from sin. You realize that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued, you're saved. You're rescued from the consequences of sin. You're, You're rescued from the grasp of the power of sin and the stranglehold that sin had on your life before Christ. You're rescued from sin. And you have salvation today if your faith is in Jesus Christ. Praise God. That's ultimate rest. Think about, think about that. No condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's rest. Now there are many religions in the world and many of the religions in the world promise some kind of relief from sin or some sort of bright future, eternal bliss, something like that, all of those require that the one seeking those things must do something. They've got to do something in order to earn their passage into this relief from sin or this eternal bliss or paradise. But that's not what the Bible teaches about those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to do something To earn this, it is a gift. You are rescued from sin and you have salvation today if your faith is in Jesus Christ because God is giving you the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. We think about the forgiveness of sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ And it does not require at all, according to God's word, it does not require at all any works on our part. That's so different from many of the world's religions. Many of the world's religions require some some sort of, some form of works to gain a right standing with God. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not what the God of the Bible requires. It is a free gift. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is a free gift by His death. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. We praise God for that. We sing about that. We sang that tonight, and we go to the Scriptures, and we see it often, and we praise God for that. So let's consider first how He provides this salvation and ultimate rest. And we see right away that God does not work the way we do. Did you know that? Do you realize that? God doesn't work the way we do. 
you're going to have to be ready to wait at times. God, God sometimes is not in a hurry. I think there's a book by that title. I think Warren Wiersbe wrote a book, God is Not in a Hurry. I think that's, I don't know if that's the exact title, but it's something like that. It's, a, it's, a, it's something necessary that we need to tangle with and, and be settled with and, and to be able to rest in, knowing that God is in control and that He means all things for our good, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we need to be okay with God's timing not being our timing. What we want, we want yesterday. What God wants, he may, not, he may not bring for a long time. He may bring it right away. But what God wants, He is patient about. And we ought to be thankful for that. Think about the patience of God toward you when you were without Christ. Before you had trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're a believer... There was a time before that, when, before, before you were a believer, when God was being patient with you. And so that patience we ought to thank God for. His, the way He answers prayers, not just His timing. God doesn't work the way we do. It's not just His timing, but the way He answers prayers or He delivers us or helps us is often different than the way we think He should. And we need to be settled with that. And we see the way God works here in verse 4. It's here we see the suffering servant was smitten by God. Look at verse 4 again. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We look at how God works and we realize, I don't think I would have done it that way. We would have wanted to exalt Jesus and make him a king, a powerful and mighty ruler and king who wiped out bad people and promoted good people. We look at how God works and realize that his ways are not what we call ordinary. That's not the ordinary way to do it. We have ordinary ways of doing things, yes? Well, my way is the right way. Your way is the ordinary way. You know, we, we, we look at each other and go, no, no, my way is the, the right way. We, or we have these ordinary ways of doing things. But think of this. God's ways are perfect. God's ways are perfect. The Bible says this in Second Samuel 22 and verse 31. This God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. This God, His way is perfect. You need to be thoroughly convinced of that. You need to be okay with that. God's ways are perfect. This is good for you. And yet, when we look at the suffering servant, we sometimes kind of cringe and think, did God have to pour out His wrath on His Son? We need to understand that God is not careless or thoughtless about how He works. In fact, we see it here that God's plans were settled even before creation. And something this passage makes plain 
is that God the Father's plan involved great suffering for God the Son. This was not outside his control. It was part of his plan. Verse 4 reminds us that Jesus was smitten by God and afflicted. Sometimes we take for granted, I think, the suffering of Jesus. And we're not amazed. We're not amazed enough that God allowed His Son to suffer so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Jesus suffered so that we could be forgiven our sins without being punished for our sins. I'm reminded of this uh, when I've sung the song. Have you heard the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? I love this song and and, uh, we'll probably sing it someday. Here's the first few words. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. You know who the wretch is? That's you and me before Christ. Before forgiveness of sins. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins before we were made alive in Christ and forgiven our sins. To make a wretch his treasure. Think of that. Let that truth and let this truth that we see here of the suffering of Christ overwhelm you with gratitude to God. Remind yourself of this throughout the week. We're reminded in this passage also that Jesus somehow bore our griefs and carried our sorrows on the cross. That kind of baffles my mind. I'm not sure how that works. But I'm okay with that because God knows how that works. And that was God's choice to punish God the Son for my sins, for your sins. You may have heard this referred to as uh, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. The substitutionary atonement of Christ. That means that Jesus took our place when we should have been the ones being punished. That's, that's what Jesus did. He took our place. The sinless Son of God took our place when we were the ones that should have been punished. Now I want you to look at verse 5 again. Look at verse 5 again. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. When you see that phrase, that that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed, think rest. There is rest because of the suffering Savior, the suffering servant. He was pierced. He was crushed on the cross because of our sins, not his own. He was sinless. But because he was punished, our wounds are, are healed. Our sins are paid for. And we now have the, the ability, with God's help and with His Word, by His Spirit, to, 
to say no to temptation, to not be controlled any longer by sin. We are given peace with God. Think of that. The Bible says that before we come to Christ in saving faith, that we're enemies with God. We resist Him. We're God's enemies. And now, through Christ, through what He has finished on the cross uh, in our place, we have peace with God. Again, that's our ultimate rest. We're no longer at war with God. And He calls to us to take His his word and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against him and we have peace with God and that's rest. Looking at verse 6 again, we see why we need a Savior. Some might say, well, why do we need to be saved? Look at verse 6. The first half of verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. Every one to his own way. I, I try to slow down when I read that passage because when I was a kid, my parents had my younger brother and I memorized this verse. And I remember it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to their own way. And I never quite understood it. I was like, how are we, how are we turning people to their own way? And that's not what it means, is it? If you have... A translation that puts those great big dashes in there that are long, like mine does, it, it goes like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. It's like we've turned away. Pause. Who? Next. Every one of us. All of us. Pause. Where? To his own way. No one makes us sin. We choose to sin. And before Christ, we can't do anything but sin. We, have, we do not have the ability to say no to temptation and honor God with our lives. Without Christ, we're all like straying sheep, wandering from the fold of God. Without Christ, we're just selfishly kind of oblivious and going our own way, going our own sinful way, and, and no one's making us sin. We're just sinners. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And the rest of verse 6 makes it clear that God took our, sin, our sins and, and He laid them on His Son, on the suffering servant on the cross. Look at the rest of verse 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Never forget that without the death of Jesus, there is no salvation, there is no healing for us. No rest. No other sacrifice but the one of the suffering servant could have been worthy of taking away our sins. And so we ought to praise God for that. I hope you're encouraged by being reminded of those truths and that you are overwhelmed by that afresh. That's a wonderful truth to behold. 
Now let's note how this salvation and ultimate rest that is made possible through the suffering servant was all a part of God's plan. I've already touched on this briefly, but let's think about this. Verse 10 says, look at verse 10 again. It's all a part of God's plan, the suffering servant. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, says verse 10. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So think about this. The suffering of Jesus was all a part of God's plan. God had a purpose, and we even get to see the purpose here. If you ever wonder, why, why? I realize we're sinners, but why? Why the suffering servant? It was all a part of God's plan, and verse 10 shows us. Look at the second half of verse 10 again. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. That's talking about people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. The suffering of Jesus was all a part of God's plan. God the Father had to crush the Son and even fill him with grief and sorrow, our grief and sorrow that we deserve to grieve and be sorrowful over for our sins, poured out his wrath on his son so that the son could have the joy that would follow. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what joy? <laughs> this sounds painful. Yes, yes, the suffering of Jesus was painful, but there was future joy. That, it's the joy that we hear about in passages like Hebrews 12.2. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, listen, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he looked, he looked to the joy and endured the cross. And that's salvation of sinners. We see salvation of sinners pointed to when we're told here in Isaiah 53 that Jesus will see his offspring. There would be many who come to faith in Jesus Christ. There would be many who receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's ultimate rest. In the Sunday school hour this morning, in the men's class anyway, we got the reminder of the truth of God's word that, that, uh, that the way to destruction is broad and the way to eternal life is narrow and few there be who find it. But in, in our way of thinking, we're trying to think of, well, how many? And we really, it's really hard to put a number. We, brother, you talked about trying to number how many Christians there are in our world. It's almost impossible because so many people call themselves Christians that are not. But, as numbers go, whatever the number is, we know there will be many, many who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice over this. And as a church and as believers, we ought to be on, we ought to be on our game, ready to share the gospel with, with whoever will listen. Because we don't know who's going to trust 
the Lord, but God calls us to be a witness to the unbelieving world around us, pointing to Jesus and telling people to repent and believe. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ become children of God. And they receive the righteousness of Christ credited to their account. So they are heirs with Christ. We think about being, being an heir, and we might think of people who, who have been uh, notable heirs throughout history who have inherited great amounts of wealth. But I would argue that those great amounts of wealth are, are nothing compared to what we inherit in Christ. So there was grief for the suffering servant. But there is also much joy after his death and resurrection, which is what he looked forward to as he suffered. There is much joy. And because he was victorious in death, many will trust in him. And many do trust in him. Many still trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered so that victory over sin could be delivered to all who believe in him, who put their faith in him and in him alone. Through faith in Christ, because of his finished and victorious work, we are not punished for our sins. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. And so there's rest for God's children because of the suffering servant, because he puts to death the fear of death. You realize that the world around us, the unbelieving world without Christ, fears death, fears the unknown, fears the end. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have no reason to fear death. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus, because he has conquered sin, he has conquered death and the grave and hell. And so there's rest for God's children because of the suffering servant, because he puts to death the fear of death. I think of many funerals that I've been to of, of faithful believers where, where, where their families gather around them and they're believers. It, it's true of, uh, I can think of funerals in, in my own family. I think of my own grandparents and, and loved ones and and people in Carolyn's family. And we've been to those funerals where, where those loved ones love the Lord and they did not fear death. And we believe in the same God. We believe in the same truth. And we know that they are with their Heavenly Father. And though we would shed tears together, there's often much laughter at a funeral like that. It's interesting, isn't it? There's often much laughter and joy and rejoicing because we're not fearing death. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have hope. And there is rest for God's children because of the suffering servant, because he, he deals a death blow to death. Jesus took the sting of death. He took it away when he died in our place. And there should be great joy for all who believe when verse 11 says this. Look at verse 11 again. Jesus made many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now, we were talking about many a moment ago. Now I want to talk about one. Jesus made many 
Put yourself there. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus, Jesus made you to be accounted righteous. Why? Because he bore your iniquities. He bore the wrath of God on your account. And you are declared righteous, even though you're still fighting sin this side of heaven. You are declared righteous because Jesus is righteous and he paid the price for your sins. So that's you if you're a believer in and follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus made many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. This points us to the third point, the outcome for the children of God. What's the outcome? Look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus interceded for us on the cross. He took our place on the cross. He obeyed the Father. He went to Calvary. And because he did, he now has an exalted place in glory. He has an exalted place of honor in heaven. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this day, this still holds true. That for all who repent of sin and believe in the Son, there is eternal life. We ought never forget this incredible message, this gospel that we have, and that we are on mission to share with the world. There is salvation for all who repent and believe in the Son. There is eternal life. There is forgiveness of sins. There is blessing forevermore. We could call it our ultimate rest. And look at verse 5 again. We're going to go back to verse 5. And let's just think of this truth. And I want this truth to ring in your heart this week. You might even just mark it or note, put a note in your, uh, on a sheet of paper and come back and look at this throughout the week. It's a familiar passage. Look at verse 5 again and let this truth ring in your heart tonight and, and through the week ahead. Speaking of Jesus, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Can I read that one again? And I want you to change something for me. Think, make this personal. I'll help you. Make this personal. This is wonderful that, that if, if, as a body of believers, as the church, we could rejoice over this truth together. But I, but I also want you to realize this applies to you as an individual if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5 again and listen carefully. But he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought me 
peace. And with his wounds, I am healed. With his wounds, I have rest. Praise God. Because he was chastised by God the Father, because he was wounded as a part of God's plan, because he was crushed, we have rest if our faith is resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful truths in Isaiah 53.